Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Oh, man, so good. Good morning, Mercy family. Good morning, man. Good morning to our Northeast family and here at Providence Road. Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. We are walking through the book of Exodus here as a church over the course of several months together. It'll take us through Easter. And, uh, you know, what we're seeing is God deliver his people from slavery in Egypt. And our hope, we said, starting in week one, said it every week, is to see God rightly. Because, man, there's nothing more important in your life. It's been the claim that we've made. There's nothing more important in your life than what you think about God. I believe too many Christians are walking around living by a weak, abstract faith because they've been trained to believe in a weak, abstract God. We all listen. The God of the Bible is anything but that. He is unrivaled in power, in holiness, and in goodness. And we're going to see in a few weeks That God is a pillar of fire, taller than the Bank of America Tower in Uptown, and wider as well. He is not abstract. He is very real and present, and he's right there in front of his people. In fact, if we were to keep following the story, we'd see that he dwells in a temple among his people. And then if you keep following the story, you see that he is actually born as a man to walk among his people. And if you keep following the story, he actually dwells inside of his people. Right? And one of the things we want to grab hold of is that the pillar of fire in Exodus becomes the living God dwelling in us here in the New Testament church. He is not abstract. He's very real and he's very present with his people. Now today in Exodus 2, we're going to meet our main character, Moses. Moses, you got to also remember, he's the author of our book, which is pretty important today because He's going to be telling us about where he came from because knowing where he came from is going to be important to fully understanding the purpose that God calls him to fulfill. What's happening with Moses in chapter 2, he's standing in his like present moment where he's writing and he's looking back on his life through the lens of the faithfulness of God. That's not an easy thing to do. But it's a really important thing to do, and it's actually a really important thing for all of us to be able to do, is to look back on our lives and see the events of our lives through the lens of the faithfulness of God. That's very important if we're going to walk forward trusting God and following Jesus in the here and now. Um, I'll never forget when I was on a, I was on a six-week mission trip in college, and we were in a, um, a place where there's millions of people, no other believers in this one city that we were placed in, and there's 15 of us, and so... Our trip leader, he said, listen, we're going to do life maps with each other where we get to really know one another's stories because we're in the trenches together. And this idea, I was like, I've never heard of, we're going to do a life map, right? The idea was we're going to write down just kind of three key milestones that had happened in our lives up to that point and then see if best we can try and articulate how now at this moment, how do we see that God was faithful to us back then, if we can see it at all. It was so 
powerful, y'all. Um, and I, I mean, I've done this exercise. Courtney and I have done that exercise with people that we're close to uh, for years since that time to get to know one another and to practice seeing the faithfulness of God then. I mean, I've got so many stories from my past, and now I can see some major milestones where at the moment, like, you know, when I was a young teenager, had a near-death experience, another story, can't wait to tell you, but near-death experience, and then right after that is when I became a follower of Christ, because God kind of woke me up to mortality, because before that, I was invincible. I was a 14-year-old boy. Of course I was invincible, right? But the Lord woke me up to mortality, and then to see who he really is, that's what God does, and I look back on that, and I see his faithfulness, and I've seen a lot of powerful things come out in doing those life map, those milestone, just recountings. I've seen blessings of faithfulness in people as they've recounted and said, man, God was so good to me here. We've seen pain where people look back at painful moments and go, I don't really understand that yet, what God is doing there, but I know that he was faithful. And by the way, this is um, your homework or your soul work, because we try not to give homework, homework's for school, but we're going to give some work for you to do over the course of this week. And this week's homework, I'm going to give you soul work, give you right out front, um, I want you to write your life map. I want you to write down three milestones where you just were big events in your life that you go back to pretty quick and how you can now see the faithfulness of God in them. I think our community groups are going to be doing this, so um, you'll have the chance to share them anyway. It should be awesome. All right, so this is, and I say all that because this is Moses' life map up until the point where he's 80 years old. That's Exodus chapter 2, all right? I don't know if you knew this before, but before Moses starts his ministry, he is 80. When he meets God at the burning bush, he's roughly 80, all right? I think some of y'all are worried, y'all hit 40 years old and worried life has passed you by, all right? This man is 80 when he gets started, okay? We'll talk about that in a minute. And for Moses, he's going to connect the faithfulness of God to his story, and he's definitely going to do it at the very end of the chapter. He's going to give us three milestones All right, so we'll see those three milestones, but then at the very end, he's going to wrap it up looking at the faithfulness of God in all of it. Our last stop is going to be zooming out and seeing how his life, Moses is going to catch that his life was not just about him. It was about how God was going to be faithful to a whole group of people and bless many others through him. And I hope, my hope for today is that you can see this as just a, a demonstration in one story of the faithfulness of God. And then you can start to see the faithfulness of God in your life. So I'm telling you, it's going to help you trust him as you go forward with him. So we're just going to walk through the text, all right? This is chapter 2. We're going to go through it, and I'll show you some things along the way. You guys ready? Yes. If each week, I want you to get, I mean, there's going to come a moment where y'all are just going to all together, both campuses, scream it. And I'm going to be not ready for how ready you are for God's word. We're getting there. All right, verse 1. Now a man from the family of Levi... Married a Levite woman. Okay, stop there. This is big. We're going to stop several spots. All right, this is big. This is big. In the years ahead, the Levites are going to be assigned the role of priest in the worship of the people. The priests were the one who go to God on behalf of people and then turn around and go to people on behalf of God. All right, they're the in-between, the mediators between God and people. Does that make sense? That's why Moses wants you to know what tribe he's from. He's connecting his, this moment right here, this, where he's from, to God's bigger purpose. It's a little foreshadowing to be a mediator between God and people. All right, verse 2. The woman became pregnant, gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was beautiful, it's Moses bragging. Remember, he's the author, okay? She hid him for three months. 
But when she could no longer hide him, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with asphalt and pitch. All right, here's what's so big. That papyrus basket, the Hebrew word is ark. It's only used one other spot. And that's when it was a little bit bigger, ark. Why the word choice? Moses is signaling to the Hebrew reader, God signaling to us, who knows the story of Noah, that God was already working a plan of salvation to deliver his people. You see that? God, you're going to see this over and over. Israelites are crying out. God's already working. All right? Israelites can't see it yet, but God's already working. Israelites are crying out, and God has prepared a Savior and put him in an ark. How did, they, how did God do this to the faith of Moses' parents? In fact, we get to see a little bit of that. Um, the book of Hebrews is a fantastic commentary. The whole New Testament is just commentary on the Old, Old Testament, okay? But Hebrews, especially as it connects to the Exodus story a whole lot, um, Hebrews 11.23 says, By faith, Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful and they didn't fear the king's edict. Just like the Hebrew midwives, they chose to let the boy live. And that's because, going back to last week, their fear of God, the reverential awe of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, surpassed the fear of Pharaoh. So at risk of their own lives, they let the boy live. In an act of desperation, they took a big step. It says that his mom placed the child in it, set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. Oh, man, how much the Nile is going to be a part of Moses' story. Then his sister stood at a distance in order to see what would happen to him. Pharaoh's daughter went down to bathe at the Nile while her servant girls were, walked along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds, sent her slave girl, took it, opened it, and saw him, the child. And there he was, a little boy, crying. She felt sorry for him and said, this is one of the Hebrew boys. Okay, not only did Moses' parents let him live... Now, one of Pharaoh's own daughters is letting him live. What should she have done? If you were here last week, you know that Pharaoh put out an edict. The way the, last, the very last verse ended was Pharaoh puts out an edict that if, you, if a Hebrew boy is born, throw him into the Nile. She should have picked him up out of that basket and tossed him in, let him drown. But instead, she has compassion on him, verse 7. Then his sister, Moses' sister, says to Pharaoh's daughter, should I go and call a Hebrew woman who is nursing to nurse the boy for you? This is a huge step of faith here because this, this is a Hebrew girl talking to a daughter of Pharaoh. By the way, this is most likely Miriam who we're going to see show up later as a very important figure again in Moses' life. Verse 8, go, Pharaoh's daughter told her. So the girl went, called the boy's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, to the mother, take this child and nurse him for me, and I will pay your wages. So the woman took the boy and nursed him. How gracious is God? Through the like, which is called the wits of Miriam, Moses' sister, the mom who gave him away to the Lord, put him there in the ark on the Nile, now is holding her son again and being paid to nurse him. And in the nursing process, by the way, this is important, this is, could be a three to four year process before he would then go to. It's not like he just went off for a minute. He lived 
with his parents for the first three to four years of his life. And in that time, they've done everything they could. If you know anything about raising children, you know those early years. Children are sponges that take in far more than we ever think that they do. And in that time, they would have worked hard to teach their son all they could about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's going to be those formative years that are going to create that tension in Moses' heart where he is a man with two peoples. Verse 10, when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. Oh, man. Moses is now ethnically Hebrew, but being adopted into Egyptian culture. One man from two peoples named Moses because the name means I brought him out of the water. Even his name is a foreshadow of his purpose. Because it's going to be God that draws Moses and the rest of Israel up out of the Red Sea. First milestone in his early years is his early years. Here's how we're going to mark it. Milestone one, Moses is delivered by a faithful God. There's just no other way to see it. Biggest thing to see here is that Moses, who would be God's deliverer, the one that God uses, was first delivered by God himself. Moses was delivered through the faithfulness of his parents, through the protection of the ark, through the disobedience of Pharaoh's daughter, through the cleverness of his sister, through the provision of adoption. He didn't have anything to do with any of that. And he's looking back and he's recognizing, having nothing to do with it, it, he had nothing to do with being born a Hebrew slave and then being raised as a member, a, a royal Egyptian. And that is exactly the kind of deliverer God would build to free Hebrew slaves from their bondage to the Egyptians. I say that to say, I think a good exercise for all of us is to look back and see the faithfulness of God, especially in the early years that we didn't have anything to do with it. I think specifically even how our church has several families who have adopted and are adopting and fostering. I know several of you are now grown children of adoption. And with that as a part of your story, you can go through all kinds of identity crisis. And I think there's a unique grace that the Lord offers children of adoption to say, listen, the Lord has been faithful to you as you look back. Your adoption is a milestone that marks the faithfulness of God. You don't have to run from that. He has a work that he has built you uniquely for, and it will display his glory in a way that no one else could. And that's beautiful. And for those of you that look back on your childhood, all of us, if you have tough childhood memories, and those of you that have wonderful ones, Man, if they're tough ones, what they meant for evil, through the redemption and healing you find in Christ, God means to use it for good. Y'all, God, God is faithful before we are even able. Maybe that's a way to summarize what we're seeing here. He is faithful before we're even able. That's his childhood. That's what he wants us to know. Raised as a Hebrew royal Egyptian, living as a member of one people, but all the while feeling the identity of belonging to another. And that sets us up for the next milestone he's about to talk about. Verse 11. Years later, after Moses had grown up, look at this. He went out to his own people. You see the tension? He went out to his own people and observed their forced labor. That's the Hebrews he's talking about. He knew who his people were. He's around them. This is wild. He's around them every day. They're enslaved by the people that he's been adopted by. Lots of emotional confusion going on there. He saw an Egyptian... Striking a Hebrew, one of his people. See, Moses reinforcing this. Reinforcing one of his people. Looking around and seeing no one, 
he struck the Egyptian dead and hit him in the sand. All right, let's just pause right here because this is a milestone, okay? Moses just murdered somebody. Now, in case you kind of walk through the Old Testament or the Bible and you're like, man, I can just, I'm never going to be able to be like those heroes of the Old Testament. Can I just say good, okay? (laughs) That's a good thing. We're 12 verses into Moses' story. He's got a body count. You don't want to be like Moses, all right? Premeditated murder plus cover-up. Don't be like Moses. You know, I, now we'll say, I, I thought about this this week. Can you imagine being Moses um, up on the mountains after the deliverance, Exodus 20, God calls him up and says, I want to give you the law. So here's God writing the commandments. Moses is the deliverer. Have no other gods before me. Moses is like, yes, did it. That's why I went in there and I said, you are who you are. And I brought all your people out because you're the one true God. Got it. What else you got? Honor your father and mother. Yes, it was their faith. And now I'm standing and believing in their God that they believed in, which is why I'm alive. Got it. What else you got? Don't murder. Is this like starting now? Like, you know, the, (laughs) what's the, you see, you see what happens? The one who is the first recipient of the law. As soon as he gets it, knows that he needs the grace of God. The second he gets it, he sees that the law is not going to stop him from sinning. The law is going to reveal how sinful his heart is. And he's going to see right in the moment that he gets the law that he is not the Savior Israel needs. They're going to need a Savior. Moses is a really good foreshadowing of Jesus. He is not the Savior but back to, the, back to the milestone moment. Let's get back in Exodus 2. He went out the next day, verse 13, he saw two Hebrews fighting. And he asked the one in the wrong, why are you attacking your neighbor? Verse 14, who made you a commander and judge over us? The man replied, you planning to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? All right. So a couple of verses ago when Moses looked around and saw no one, that didn't mean that nobody saw Moses. Clearly, Right? Somebody saw, somebody was looking, the story spread quick, because here's one of Pharaoh's sons killing an Egyptian to spare a Hebrew. It's crazy. But clearly, like, the Hebrews didn't know what to do with him yet. They knew he's just a madman, right? But maybe he's going to kill somebody today. They haven't necessarily grafted him in yet. And then Moses became afraid and thought, what I did is certainly known. And that's the reason he's afraid, is he's afraid that Pharaoh is going to kill him for what he did. Verse 15. Moses is right. When Pharaoh heard about this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. Here's water again in Moses' story. Milestone number two is Moses the murderer and fugitive. Obviously, it's a big milestone. It's the moment that he chooses his people over the Egyptians, but he doesn't do it in a great way. Should he have murdered the Egyptian? No. Did God work through it? Yes. Do I understand how those two things work together? No. (laughs) I can only say this much. Just like with Joseph's brothers, what they meant for evil. Remember we talked about Genesis 50, what they meant for evil, God meant for good to bring about the salvation of many. Same thing. Same thing. Even what Moses meant for evil, God meant for good to bring about the salvation of his people. Here's what you need to know. Moses is most likely 40 years old when he flees. And at this milestone, he's on the run with his life seemingly over. He's got no one. He's a man from two people that has no people. But God, listen, God is not through with him. He's not through with Moses. 
the very place he flees to, all the way to Midian, becomes the land of his preparation. And I'll say that because some of you right now are running in your sin. Or you sinned before and you're still running from God. You might be here out of religious obligation, but in your heart and in your life you're running Maybe you've been running from the law. Maybe you've been running from consequences. Maybe just from God. And I promise you, my promise is that you cannot outrun God. You can't. You can flee all the way to Midian. You see Moses flee all the way past Midian into the wilderness on the outskirts of Midian. That's like, that's like Winget or something. That's like way, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just, I mean, uh, but, you know, no matter how far you run, You can't outrun God. You can't go to a place where he is not. And the great news is is that if you have air in your lungs, God is not through with you. He's not through with you. Your first step is going to be to turn back to him. Before God uses Moses in Egypt, he humbles Moses in the wilderness. Moses has got to be humbled by God. We'll see that next week. Some of you have reached the milestone of running. You're fleeing. And God wants you to stop. But here's the great thing. Instead of a random well in Midian, he offers you the well of living water. That's Christ. John 7, 37, on the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture said, will have streams of living water flowing from deep within him. He says to the woman at the well, drink, I have water that if you drink from it, you'll never be thirsty again. That's the water of new life, eternal life that he offers you and I. The wages of our sin is death, just like it was for Moses. But instead of ending your story there, God sent his son to pay for your sin. So instead of dying in the wilderness, you're offered forgiveness for your sin and new life in Christ. Because our God is not the angry tyrant of Egypt. He is the loving, redeeming, and rescuing God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he sent the perfect Messiah who did not kill to protect his people. He allowed himself to be killed as a ransom for his people. So you can stop running. You stop running and turn to him and receive life today. That's the call of God on some of y'all. Today is going to be a milestone for some of you because it's the day you stopped running. Verse 16, let's keep going and see this next one. I'm going to read you through verse 22. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. My goodness. And they, (laughs) amen, yes, Lord. They came to draw water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Then some shepherds arrived and drove them away. But Moses came to their rescue, a little foreshadowing of what he's going to do, and watered their flock. When they returned to their father, Rule, who we'll see um, known as Jethro in the, years, in the chapters to come, he asked, why have you come back so quickly today? They answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. <laughs> I love this. So where is he? He asked his daughters, why'd you leave him behind? Invite him at least to eat dinner. <laughs> Invite him to eat dinner. Well, verse 21, Moses agreed to stay with the man. And he gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. And she gave birth to a son whom he named Gershom. For he said, I've been a resident alien in a foreign land. All right. 
Here's what I want you to see. Moses recognizes there's a whole lot going on in why he names his son, and he tells us that he names his son what he names him. He's recognizing that Midian's not his home either. He's established a life, but it's a life unfulfilled. Think about this guy. He's a washed-up old exile now. It's like if like Obi-Wan Kenobi had a family, okay? If, that, if y'all know the Star Wars story. If not, forgive my nerdiness and carry on with your life, okay? But by naming his son this and recording it here in Scripture, what Moses is acknowledging is he's stuck out in exile. It's going to take some kind of divine intervention for Moses' life to change. All prospects of a purpose for his life seem kind of lost unless God intervenes. And this is the last milestone. It's Moses waiting in exile. Is this all there is, God? Is this all you got for me? Life's passing him by. Something about the arrival of his son is further solidifying he's not where he was made to be. And the only hope is God's got to do something. It's not that he can put his resume out and move to a new city and make a fresh start. He's stuck and he will be stuck until he's 80. I think the big point here is that God brought him to a place where only God could get the credit for what he was about to do. That's Moses is not the center of God's story. God is the center of Moses' story. And God's doing some work in Moses to help him to see that. that that's very good for him that Moses is a small, temporary piece in God's story. But it's best for Moses that God is the center of his story. Is that where you are? Or... <laughs> Look, I can count on one hand the members of Mercy Church who are older than Moses was when he met God at the burning bush, and I think I got some fingers to spare, all right? What I'm saying, if you are waiting on God and you feel like you've been waiting on him for a while, you're not the first person to feel that way. That's throughout Scripture. Scripture's filled, by the way, with promises for those who wait on the Lord. I mean, I'm going to give you a few of them. Psalm 27, 13 and 14, I'm certain that I will see the goodness, the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. So wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 37, 34, wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. Lamentations 3, 25, 26, the Lord is good for those who wait for him. To the person who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. Isaiah 40, 31, but those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength, not after they get done waiting and they go on to something else, but in the process of the waiting. He will renew their strength and they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. In the waiting, I want you to know that God is not slow. God is patient. So 2 Peter 3 says, and he's working. And some of you are frustrated right now because God isn't answering your prayer. He's not giving you the next thing. And everything in you wants to take matters into your own hands. And maybe you need to stop and go before the Lord and thank him for the waiting. And let him humble you. Ask him to draw you close to him in the waiting. The waiting is a powerful place. He uses those he first humbles. So instead of letting the waiting frustrate you, ask God to let it refine you and draw near to him and wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. And after these three milestones, Moses zooms out. 
to show the connection between his own life map and the bigger picture of the work of God. And in here is some powerful stuff for those of you waiting. Verse 23 through 25. After a long time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned because of their difficult labor, and they cried out. And their cry for help, because of the difficult labor, ascended to God. God, watch what God does, y'all. God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the Israelites, and God knew. God heard, God remembered, God saw, and God knew. This is a very present and active God. This is roughly, he says after a long time there. Yes, it's after 40 years or so in Moses' life. But it's been about 400 years since the Israelites were enslaved by Egypt. That's acknowledging a much longer time has passed. Generations have been born, lived, and died all in slavery. All crying out to God for deliverance, and he didn't. And despite generation after generation not seeing deliverance, they held fast to the hope that had been passed down to them. And that's powerful because that's a hope based in who God is, not in what he does for me. Based in who he is, not in my circumstance. I'm going to say something very important. When Moses says God remembered his covenant, it's not that he had forgotten it and now it just kind of popped back into his head. By saying remembered, he's saying now's the time. He's going to bring to fulfillment his promise to deliver them from Egypt. Now's the time. And Moses is looking back and saying, all that I went through, God was doing something not just for me, but for his people. Because God loves his people. The Israelites have been crying out, and Moses is born of a Levite. The Israelites are crying out, and Moses is put into a basket. He's saved. Israelites can't see it. They're crying out. Moses is adopted into an Egyptian court where he would learn Egyptian culture and the laws and everything needed in order to go and to speak on behalf of the Hebrews to Pharaoh. But they can't see it. They're just crying out. Moses kills a man and now is in exile, and their best hope for a savior is lost. And they're just crying out. They can't see all this. They're just crying out. He's in a foreign land for decades. They can't see it. He's just crying out. Moses is going to meet God at a burning bush. They can't see it. They're just crying out. And then Moses is going to send a deliverer. Because, man, the whole time, God saw him. God heard him. God remembered his covenant, and God knew. And, y'all, he knows now. He knows now. He knows what you're going through. Their deliverance was already in motion. When it looked like God was going to do something, but he didn't, and years and years went by, they thought he had forgotten the whole time God knew. Before you see him working, I don't want this to sound trite, but before you see him working, he's working. He is, y'all. He has not forgotten you. It's such good news. As long as you have breath in your lungs today, he has a purpose for you today, here and now. Now, here's what's so awesome for those in Christ. I told you Moses was a Levite, or Moses told us he was a Levite, a priest who stood between God and man, a foreshadowing of Christ. Look at what the New Testament says about how we wait on the Lord. 
Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. That's the gospel. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, what can we do in the waiting? Approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He hears, he remembers, he sees, he knows. And we can cry out, we can pray, and if we are in Christ, we have direct access to the throne of grace. We can receive mercy and help. Y'all, he sent his son to set you free from sin. He sent his Holy Spirit to strengthen you and to encourage you and to convict you in order to protect you from the enemy in all of his ways. Oh, man. And if you're in Christ, and you're going to hear me say that a lot, if you're in Christ, that means you have believed this gospel message that Christ died for your sins. You don't have to pay the penalty for your sins. If you believe that, then Christ is in you. If you are in Christ, Christ is in you, which means where's the throne of grace? It's wherever you bow down and cry out because he's with you. God is with you. The pillar of fire now resides within you, listening and seeing and remembering and knowing what you're going through. You might be waiting on his word. You don't have to wait on his presence. And his presence is way more powerful. Reside with his presence. 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So what do you do with all this? I want you to go home and, yes, write your milestones, the stories of God's faithfulness to you. And then look at where you're waiting on God now. I think most of us are. We're waiting on God. And let his past faithfulness stir you to believe he will be faithful now in what you're waiting on. He will be, y'all. One of the reasons we gather together and we lift up our voices to one another, as we lift them up to God and what we hear one another, that's each person saying, man, I believe the Lord is still faithful. When we do baptisms and do them all together, it's a reminder of the faithfulness of the Lord to the one of us or the many of us who are just weak in heart and starting to doubt if God still remembers me. When we pass around communion and take it together, we are remembering together past grace, believing on him for future grace, encouraging one another. He is still faithful. He's still faithful. Romans 8, 32. He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Man, he hears. He hears he sees, he remembers his covenant to you in Christ. And he knows. He knows where you are. The gospel is your hope in all of that. He has met your deepest need. If he's done that, you can trust him. If he did not, we say this a lot around here, if he did not abandon you in his darkest hour on the cross, he will certainly not abandon you in yours. You can trust him. I'll tell you what, let's respond to the Lord in prayer for just a moment, because I think today is a milestone for all of us. For some of you, I want to give you the chance. So let's all respond. If you would bow your head, both of our campuses, let's get into a posture of prayer. I want you to respond to the Lord. 
Maybe you've been, I'm going to give you a few ways to respond. Some of you just need to look back, and you know those milestones. You know them. You need to thank God for his faithfulness. Just thank him. God, thank you for being faithful. Maybe you needed a refresher of the faithfulness of God today. Because you got something that you, oh man, you're struggling with, heavy circumstance, heavy situation, and you just need to trust God. And that doesn't need to be an abstract God. I mean, that needs to be the pillar of fire who became the one that resides in you. You just need to trust him. God, I trust you with this. Please be the center of my story. I know I'm not the center of yours, but it's good for me. I remember my grace in Christ. I remember my salvation. I know you are faithful. I know you see. I know you hear. I know you remember. And I know you know. Just surrender that to him. Some of you are just thrown into a little bit of a mess right now because you don't know Christ. Man, I just want to encourage you that you can receive the forgiveness of Christ today. You can receive it today. You need him. It's the one thing we're about here is we are the people of mercy. It's why we named our church what we named it. You don't have to do anything to earn his salvation. You just receive it. He has heard you this whole time. Your whole life, he's known. He's known what you've gone through. He sees you. He knows you. And man, the testimony of scripture and of this people is that he loves you. And you can receive salvation from your sin right now, today. You tell him, God, I believe I'm a sinner. I believe it. I'm turning from my sin. I believe Christ died as a payment for my sin, which gives me forgiveness. I receive that forgiveness today. And I believe because he got out of the grave that because he has new life, I have new life. And I receive new life in him now. This is my milestone. It's new life in Christ. I believe it. I receive it. Lord, be the center of my story now and forevermore. With all of us um, in this posture of prayer, if that is your, today is your milestone day, both of our campuses, I want to give you the chance to just acknowledge it before the Lord and before your pastoral team who just wants to pray for you. So if you would, just put your hand up in the air saying, yeah, this is my milestone day. I'm giving my life to the Lord. I receive it. Thank you, God. All right, you can put them down. Let's pray. God, what a, what a gift your grace is. Don't ever let us take it for granted. Keep calling us back to your faithful love. Thank you that we can look back to the cross and the empty tomb and say with resounding certainty and joy, God is faithful. He is faithful 
to deliver his people. We celebrate your faithfulness to us, Lord, in the mighty name of the risen Christ. Amen.